0: Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey, guys,
1: welcome back to We Got Balls. And today we are coming to you with a very important topic. And, um, you know, normally we start with a little bit of levity and laughter, and uh, we might have a little bit of that in this episode, Scott, but we're going to be talking about sexual abuse. And so uh, it's hard to laugh at people's pain. So I just want to give the weight that's there. And if you're listening and this is part of your story, just, just as a preface for this, if at any point in time in this conversation, you start to feel triggered or you start to feel very emotional Uh, Please turn this podcast off. We care about you more than uh, you need to find out more about this issue. And you can come back to it at any point in time in the future. But we want you to feel safe and to feel heard and to feel uh, connected, especially to your body in this experience. Because we're going to be talking about some of the statistics. We're going to be talking about some of the reasons why uh, this, this issue is so significant. So guys, just, um, just keep listening. Uh, this is a, a, a podcast specifically focused on sexual abuse in men. Scott, what, what are your thoughts, what are your feelings when we think about this discussion on sexual abuse when it regards to men?
0: Well, you know, the premise of the podcast has kind of been exploring our sexual lives, what arouses us, our fantasies. And one of the primary drivers of our sexual fantasies can be past harm, trauma. And um, I think it's important to start out by remembering that the word that we get trauma from in the Greek means wound. So wounds are two different kinds of wounds that we suffer from. There are things that happen to us that never should have happened, and those create wounds. And there are things that should have happened that never happened and those create wounds as well. And when it comes to sexual trauma, so much of it is something that should have never happened to me that ended up happening. And uh, I have a personal interest in this subject because I was sexually abused as a five-year-old boy. And again, I was sexually abused as a 17-year-old teenager. And it has shaped my life sexually. It has shaped my sense of my own identity, my ability to control my intense emotions like anger and fear and overwhelm and shame and it has impacted my relationships including my relationship with god throughout my adult life and so if you've been working on your sexual story if you've been working you know to find healing and wholeness from sexual compulsions for some time and you're not making progress you simply have to address the possibility or the reality of sexual abuse in your life. And um, for men in particular, this is a really difficult category to discuss for a number of reasons. Um, it's difficult for anybody, anybody who has been sexually abused. This is some of the greatest harm that occurs to a human heart and body. And it's because it damages our whole being, it's a violation of our bodies, it's a violation of our sexuality. It's a violation of our desires and our hearts. And it is also one of the most prevalent forms of abuse that occurs worldwide. So just to kind of jump into some of the statistics. Well, hold um, on
1: before we go there, because I think it's important, um, you know, before we launch into the, into the data that that we give some weight. A, I want to honor you. Thank you for sharing your own story. And I know the listeners are, who may be interested in that, I know you're going to offer a little more of that in a few episodes. So um, uh, we, we definitely want to be present with you and caring for you uh, as you're vulnerable there. But also, I think it's important to just recognize that there, uh, while, while sexual abuse isn't talked a lot of, about in the culture, uh, there, there definitely has been uh, this idea that women are sexually abused and men maybe are not as sexually abused. I mean, I've heard the statistics say like uh, women are you know one out of every three, one out of every four, and then men are more like one out of every five, six, maybe one out of every eight. And um, in my experience, that just there's something feels off
0: about that. Is is that what you've heard and what you've understood? Yeah. So th- the most published statistic on men is one out of every six and but the world health organization says that one out of every three females will be sexually abused by their 18th birthday worldwide now that's a tremendous number of females that are sexually abused but there's really no reason to believe that it's any less for males than it is for females and it may be actually more the reason why is because we know from research that on average If a man ever does deal with his sexual abuse, it takes him an average of 26 years after the abuse to actually name it and to come out with the story of his abuse. And there is so much shame around sexual abuse for men in particular. So again, it's harmful for everybody, but there's a unique way in which sexual abuse sets men up for harm. And primarily that stems from the fact that the majority of abusers of men are other men yeah and so what does it mean when i as a man uh am abused by another man i experience some degree of arousal which is involved in almost all abuse whether you're a male or female but for a male our our abuse or our arousal is overt it's not subtle you can't hide an erection you can't hide ejaculation and so what does it mean for me as a man, as a, as a little boy or as a teenager, to experience an erection in the abuse from another man and to experience sexual pleasure and this sense of complicity that develops around that is I wanted that or I may have even kept going back to the abuser because, frankly, in a lot of our stories, our abusers give us more attention than our own mothers or fathers did. And that's the maddening part of abuse is we got something of goodness and a taste kind of of heaven from our abuser, which kept drawing us back to them because they were giving us something of life, but they were doing it in a really unhealthy way where there's a lot of strings attached. And so we feel a sense of, you know, I liked it. I kept going back. It felt good to get his attention. And even the sexual experience felt good. And for many men, their first sexual experience is abusive. So um, there's a lot of other factors that go into why there is significant data to believe that about one in three men are sexually abused. Dan Allender has come forward in uh, his Healing the Wounded Heart course to say that's probably the data. Tim Ferriss, who's a pretty well-known podcaster and tech Titan has come forward with his abuse story and in the mm-hmm. podcast for his abuse story, they talk about how it's probably one in three men worldwide because of this incredible cloud of shame and secrecy that is prevalent in male, male sexual abuse. So.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note that, you know, obviously we talked about shame before, uh, shame will be a recurring topic in our discussions, but, um, What is it particularly about male abuse by other men and boys? And I I know we want to talk about the nature of abuse as well. And we'll get to that in a second. So what is it about the abuse that that someone would experience as a young boy or as a teenager by an older male that brings about so much shame?
0: Well, first of all, there's just kind of the cultural beliefs about men and masculinity as a whole. So there's three kind of, um, uh, I think, culturally accepted ideas. Maybe these are not voiced, but they're certainly believed by pretty much everybody Mm. about masculinity and manhood in regards to sexuality. So the first one is men are always to be strong and are never to be weak so we're to be physically strong we're to be able to protect ourselves and to protect others and so to be a victim of abuse means that in some sense you were not strong enough you were not capable as a as a boy or as a teenager of defending yourself against a sexual attack so that's number 1 number 2 is the belief that men are always ready for sex and um are always primed for it and so yep men are the you know the the promoter and the the pursuer of sex so what does it mean when um another man pursues me for sexual engagement and i end up you know not resisting that so men are supposed mm-hmm. to always be ready for sex but it's only sex with females never males mm-hmm. because right. men are never supposed to do anything that's gay right right and And the third thing is to actually engage the fact that you were sexually abused, you have to be willing to engage how you felt, what you, what Mm. you experienced in your body, the confusion, the arousal, the anger, the fear, the sense of overwhelming emotions that happens when you're violated by another person in your body. And to do that, you have to engage your emotions and. Culturally, we believe that men are focused on the external world. Men do not focus on their emotions. And to do so is to be feminine. So these three cultural ideas of men are men are always to be strong. Men are always to be ready for sex, but never gay sex. And three, men are never to be like women, which is emotional. So you've got to cross those three things to really engage any story of sexual abuse for a man. And I will just say that although sexual abuse by uh, uh, boys and teenage boys is almost always perpetrated by a male, the figure is 18 to 1. So men abuse uh, other males by a figure of 18 to 1 compared to females that abuse males. However, the damage that's done to a a boy or an adolescent by the abuse of a female is just as damaging and in fact can yeah. be more damaging because again this cultural belief that if men are always ready for sex and an older woman approaches you for sex as a teenager she's doing you a favor right, she, right. she's helping you become a man she's initiating you into manhood and yeah. hollywood has perpetrated this um this belief with movies and tv shows that feature the hot teacher, or, you know, the summer of 42, where the 42 year old, you know, woman is approaching a teenage boy and introducing him to sex. And this is seen as a gift. And yet, I can assure you from the guys that I've coached, and probably you guys that were sexually abused as boys as teenagers by older women, suffer tremendously um, in their compulsions and their unwanted sexual behavior. So it's not a gift. It's not a favor.
1: And and as you talk about that, I'm thinking about the traumatic arousal cocktail that happens during abuse, which is this thing that I've always wanted, which is to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be touched, to have this experience of human-to-human intimate contact, and yet I'm not ready for it. I mean, you talked about this often being one of the first sexual experiences that people have. And so a, a, a more capable, and I think we'll get to this in a sec as well, a more capable person, a more aware, a more experienced, a more mature person comes to a younger m- boy, a younger young man, and, and introduces him to pleasure, sexual pleasure. But yet it feels violating and it feels uh, fearful. And, and and yet, like you talked about, there's these expectations that, especially if it's a woman, I'm supposed to enjoy this. This is what I'm. This is what I was made for. And yet, I don't want this. I, I have so much discomfort. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the silence around sexuality uh, in religious cultures, and and frankly, in in family dynamics as well. And so. You know, when when a when a boy when a, when a young man has that traumatic arousal cocktail of both harm and pleasure, how is he supposed to make sense of that? I mean, isn't the only thing he can do just bury it and just push it down and make it go away?
0: Well, it, it, it just just consider the the physiological response to feeling threatened. Okay, we have kind of we have a couple of ways that we operate as social creatures. We either are socially connected where we feel connected and protected in the presence of others, or we feel threatened. And when we feel threatened, we go into a fight, flight, freeze response. It happens automatically and involuntarily. It's our nervous system that's putting us into a survival state. So when somebody touches your body uninvited and they begin to violate you especially as a child or teenager when you haven't had sexual experiences before um, or this is your first one, it's going to automatically trigger not only arousal because your body is being touched and God designed your body to respond to physical touch with arousal. Um, It may be an erection. It may not be an erection, but it's going to be arousing in some sense because it's going to feel good and it's going to feel connected. But at the same time, there's this confusion of, This is my coach that's doing this, or this is my priest, or this is my older cousin. And so it triggers a lot of cortisol release, which is a stress hormone that the body releases to get us into that fight-flight state. And yet in the abuse itself, your, your body may also freeze up. You may also just kind of lock up and not be able to respond at all, which makes you feel completely powerless. In the abuse itself, because overwhelming emotions kind of overwhelm our nervous system, and our nervous system at some point shuts down with all of that confusing arousal and fear and anger and shame into this state of immob- immobility. And there are actually cases. There's there's a, a report that I saw from several years ago where two adult males were getting massages at the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas. So these are adult men, and the masseur is massaging them, and he begins to touch their penis and got both men erect and brought them to ejaculations and gave them a hand job, basically. And these guys said nothing. But each man left and went to the police and reported sexual assault. And What happened to them is they froze. Their body immobilized them because their nervous system detected that the threat That they were experiencing was unescapable and so what our body normally does to help us in that situation is it just freezes you and so you can't move so you don't have a lot of choice and yet there's so much shame that comes after the fact because i should have said something but i don't even have access to my speech centers in my brain i can't say stop i can't say no so even the idea of consent at times gets overridden by our own body's response to what it perceives as a threat, and that can that can create a tremendous sense of shame as well. Thanks, Scott. Um,
1: one of the things that, as you're sitting there talking, and, and I think it's important and, uh, to, to recognize is there's different different aspects of what is sexual abuse, and that's really the question that we we want to get some clarity on today. You know, what does it mean for? Uh, for for someone to be sexually abused? And who who are the people who we could consider abusers? Because I think that's oftentimes in doing the story work and in processing this with guys, they struggle to recognize someone as an abuser. They see a, a circum, circumstance as being just you know inappropriate or maybe just playful, but yet it really felt like, as you were just describing, they froze up, they didn't know what to do, their body kind of shut down on them, and yet they can't get past this experience because they don't know how to identify it as as abuse. They just don't know what it is. So so what is sexual abuse and how can we really get some clarity around if it's happened to us?
0: Okay, great question. So let me, let me give you the two categories that I have used quite a bit to understand it for myself. I use it with other men. These were uh, proposed by Dan Allender in the book, The Wounded Heart, which he wrote back in the 1990s, and I respect Dan a lot. He's a very well-known and respected Christian psychologist. So uh, in his book, The Wounded Heart, he says there are two basic categories of sexual abuse to consider. One is contact, and the other is interaction. So let me go into the details of the subcategories beneath both of those. So within contact, you have three different types of contact. You have very severe, this would be genital intercourse, either coerced or non coerced, oral or anal sex, and again, either coerced or non coerced. So that's severe, uh, or very severe. Severe would be unclothed genital contact, including manual touching, masturbation, or penetration, again, coerced or uncoerced, unclothed touching of breasts, chest, any kind of erogenous area, nipples, anus, that type of thing, and uh, simulated intercourse, so kind of dry humping or frottage and then the least severe would be sexual kissing so this is kissing on the mouth open mouth kissing French kissing uh, sexual touching of buttocks thighs legs or clothed breasts or genitals so if somebody's touching you even on the outside of your clothing that can be sexual contact interactions include three different categories of things verbal would be direct solicitation for sexual purposes. So somebody offering to give you sexual experience, seductive or subtle solicitation or innuendo. Oftentimes groomers will, you know, float trial balloons or they'll probe for openness um, by giving really suggestive things. um, Like, how was your day? Oh, it was really hard. Really? How hard were you? That type of thing. Depictions of sexual practices, so they talk a lot about sex and the sex that they've had and the sex that they've done. I know numerous cases of guys that were sexually abused as teenagers by older men who started sharing their sexual experiences, which are intended to arouse the guy, or exposing the younger guy to pornography and saying, look at this. Wow, this is hot. Um, So repeated use of sexual language and sexual terms as personal names. Um, visual exposure, exposure to or use of pornography, intentional repeated exposure to sexual acts, sexual organs, and/or sexually provocative attire (bras, nighties, slips, underwear), inappropriate attention or scrutiny directed towards your body, clothed or unclothed, or, clo- or clothing for the purpose of sexual stimulation, and then psychological. Uh, this would be physical and sexual boundary violations, intrusive interest in a child, sexual activity. The use of a child as a spouse surrogate by a parent, confidant, intimate companion, uh, protector, or counselor. The use of enemas is a uh, frequent one that I've heard, where a parent or a caregiver gives you a lot of enemas, and it becomes and and, it, and this is this seems really bizarre, but I've heard this a number of times, and you probably have two Chris's where a parent. Um, is disciplining a child and they either make the child pull their pants down. And there's a sadistic, almost sexual rhythm to the punishment that's occurring to the child. And I've seen that a lot too. So, yeah. And so we got to We got to pause
1: because you just like backed up the sexual abuse dump truck and just, I mean, it, the shit went everywhere because it, everything that you described, I think even as, and, and I'll just be vulnerable. In my story, I, have, I was uh, fortunate that this is not one of the abuse issues that I have. I have others, but um, I'm thinking about people that I've talked to. I'm thinking about circumstances in, um, in, in family members' lives that I know about. I just feel very heavy. I just feel really, I, I want to take a moment to grieve that this is in the world. Because there's, there's so much in what you said. Clinically, yes, it's correct. It, it, it's helpful. But um, personally, emotionally, in, in the human sense, um, so much of my life, my childhood, and so much of all of our listeners' lives and childhood just kind of flashed
0: in those descriptions. Yeah, thanks for naming that. Because it is really heavy. And we live in a broken world. And we shouldn't gloss over the fact that behind all of this description of very clinical, technical terms, there are people in a lot of pain Yes, uh, that have been hurt by this. And I, I have that in my story, and I engage that with other men's stories, and you do too, every single day. And it ought to bring tears to our eyes. Yes. Because it does a lot of harm to the human heart.
1: So um, just a couple more uh, particulars because I think um, what we want to do in our next episode is we want to sit with some of that heaviness and really break down what does it mean to have had sexual abuse in our lives and how it has affected us, but to really be able to accurately name from what you what you uh, read there from Dan Allender's book, um, there's some pieces that really stood out for me, which, you know, obviously if you have someone who's been predatory towards you and manipulated you and used you and you feel used, it's a little easier to name that. But many of the things you talked about, like the punishment, like the sexual exposure, the inappropriate sexual exposure, um, you know, hearing, hearing your parents have sex, hearing adults have sex, seeing adults walk around unclothed when you're young, um, having all these different and there's, there's hundreds of other dynamics that are there that can feel inappropriate and wrong, but arousing, and yet we don't call them abuse. We just tell the story with, with, a, with that numbness and that shame within us, and we deal with the consequences. So how can we get some clarity in telling our stories around sexual abuse so that we don't have to sit with that, that mystery and that pain alone anymore?
0: This is a challenge because 38% of people who have been sexually abused have no memory of the abuse, even though it's been documented by third parties. So in a lot of cases, the abuse occurs when people are younger, they don't have full verbal capabilities. Most of us don't until we're 12. And so it's hard for us to name what has happened to us if we don't have access to language. And what you might feel is even in listening to the podcast, there might be sensations that you experience in your body. Um, maybe I've heard discomfort in my rectum. I've heard the feeling of somebody touching my penis, um, something in my mouth. Those things are common. And the invitation would be to just pay attention or just notice what your body's telling you. Because one of the key tenets of trauma work is to help us understand that although we can hold memories of trauma or not, we may not, um, our body always remembers. The body always keeps the score. And so your body may be telling you something that's true about your life that you just don't have the bandwidth to deal with emotionally right at the moment. And it's okay To just notice what you're experiencing in your body, even as you're listening to this or other podcasts that talk about this, just be curious about what comes up for you. Do you feel your heart start to beat faster? Do you feel yourself tightening up? Do you feel fear rising up? Because your body's trying to tell you something. And so oftentimes we ignore what our body's trying to tell us and just try to dissociate and disconnect from that. And so I think that's the most important thing to say first off is pay attention to your body your body will always tell you the truth um, in terms of you know who abuses because that was the second part of the question the first thing we have to consider is always the abuse before the abuse what is the abuse before the abuse the abuse before the abuse is something in our family system that sets us up for being sexually abused by the perpetrator and Jay Stringer has done a great job of documenting this in his book and the research that he did for the book Unwanted, and that there are, you know, a couple of family systems that really predispose us to being sexually abused as children or adolescents. The first would be rigid families. So a lot of us grow up in uh, family systems where there's a lot of rules, maybe a lot of religious rules, and there's a lot of- Or cultural- or cultural. You have
1: a lot of cultural shame, culture, rules. Yeah, yeah. so this
0: could, be, this could be definitely cultural um, as well. But there's a lot of rules and regulations, but not a lot of relational warmth. And so in these families, and oftentimes people from these families will swear they had a great family. But when you ask them, well, give me an example of when you felt really loved and cared for. They have no memories of that. And so right there is a data point to be curious about, why is it that I insist that my family was a great family, a great Christian family, but I have no real memories of emotional or relational warmth in my family? And so that's something to invite curiosity about. And so many of us that are from very religious family systems, particularly in the Christian tradition, we're told to honor our father and mother. And so we feel like by naming the fact that I was really kind of set up for harm by the lack of attuned care in my family is dishonoring my parents. Really, you can honor your mother and father and still tell the truth about how you were harmed. And I think that's what we see in Scripture is. Scripture doesn't mince words when it talks about Abraham sex trafficking Sarah twice and raping, coercing Hagar. Into a sexual experience that impregnates her, and then driving her off into the wilderness to die, pregnant with the child that he impregnated her with. So when wait God, wait 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 what?
1: that's it, that's in the Bible. What? That's like an episode. That's like a, a mini series on Netflix. What the hell happened? I missed that one. It's
0: sexual abuse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Abraham, the father of our faith, uh, sexually abused his own wife, and he sexually abused Hagar. And it's in there in the Bible. And so when God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not a compliment. He's, he's actually calling us to pay attention to this man that I took and I made the father of our faith it didn't start out so promising. And th- that, that gives us a lot of hope, but that's, that's an example of how we can actually tell the truth because the scripture tells the truth about all the men in it, all their flaws, and yet it still honors them. Um, there's disengaged family. So disengaged family classically would be the latchkey kid. Mom and dad worked all the time, they were involved in their own stuff, they were so busy in church and blah blah blah. You were left by yourself. Um or there's a combination of rigid and disengaged, one parent's one way, one parent's the other. You don't know what you're dealing with. And then the final final family system that can be really damaging is hostile or harming families. And this includes the category of emotional incest or meshment or triangulation where If there wasn't delight between your mother and father for each other, you can be certain that one of them turned to somebody else in the family for delight. And it may have been you. If you're the more emotionally sensitive of the kids, I guarantee it was you. And usually that happens with the opposite sex parent. Not always, but most of the time. Where the opposite sex parent, there's a loss, there's a loss of affection and a delight between the mother and the father. And so the mother will turn to the boy to be her emotional confidant. And it may involve sexualization in the relationship where mom walks around in brawn panties and she wants you to come talk to her where she puts her makeup on. And you see her in the negligee and she has you sleep in bed with her when you're a teenager, even even when your dad's gone. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stories, but this is where you're brought into the marriage relationship and you're turned into a spouse by one of your parents. And that's extremely damaging. So all of these scenarios in a family system then set us up for the sexual abuse by a groomer, somebody who can read our our lack of care in our family system and offer us some of the goodness that we aren't receiving in our home but with sexual strings attached. And so often this is the hardest part of our stories to engage. It it can often be more painful uh, than the fact that I was sexually abused to realize I was really kind of left hanging out to dry by my mom and dad.
1: And I want to say this too, because it's time to conclude this episode, but um, to anyone who was sexually abused, you have to realize this reality you weren't sexually abused because you were weak. You were sexually abused because you were strong, and your abuser saw something in you that they could take, that they could consume. And so, even as you hear this and listen to this, and you may be struggling to to get through this content, and, went and we're and we're with you because this is this is heavy stuff. Know that your abuse is not your fault. There's probably, uh, I won't say there's probably, there's nothing you could have done to prevent it. And the only thing that you can do now is recognize the reality of it and grieve it. Just like we want to grieve with you, that you were good. And some of that goodness, some of that light, some of that beauty was taken by someone else who saw it in you and wanted that for themselves. So as we wrap this up, Scott, my my invitation to our listeners is going back to that that story that you told about the Continental. Maybe you're frozen in your sexual abuse. Maybe you just don't want to talk about it. Maybe you say it hasn't existed, but there's something very suspicious in your story that you haven't sat with. We want to invite you to share what you remember and what you can with safe people and let me be very clear family members are not always the safest people in fact rarely are they the safest people you want to find friends maybe same gendered friends that you can be with that they can just be the the recipient of your emotion and your words and your language and just accept it and just love it and one of the things that we try to do in in our work is be a safe place for anyone to come and tell their story. And we hold stories like this with great care and with great compassion because we feel the weight and the pain of these types of issues. So Scott, I know, um, you know, not a lot of laughter in this episode, but we hope there's some healing that's going on. And, um, thank you so much for what you had to share. Any last, Last thoughts as we close up?
0: Yeah, I would just invite anybody that is listening to this that suspects or knows that they've endured sexual abuse to remember that inside of you as an adult man, there is a wounded little boy. Mm -hmm. And how do you want to position yourself to offer him kindness and care in the midst of some of the deepest heartache of his life?
1: That's so good. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next time to talk more about how sexual abuse affects men. And we hope you'll join us. Y'all take care, guys. Have a good day.
0: Bye, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.